bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, CEO of Circle Social, a strategic marketing firm for behavioral health and SUD providers. Today we're speaking with Carl Fisher. He is the managing director over at Decisive Edge, which is a technology integration partner. They do a lot of things, but the main focus that we're going to talk about is back-end technical infrastructures and things like advanced AI routing for calls and artificial intelligence used for tagging, tracking, and workflow integrations in your call center. So, very interesting topic. Before we get into that, though, I do want to hear from our sponsors, ERP Health. Outcome tracking is made easy with ERP Health. ERP Health is the U.S. standard outcome tracking platform to deliver measurement-based care for behavioral health. Their products are equipped with tools to improve population health, enhance the experience and outcomes of patients, and reduce the cost of care in our communities. Tracking outcomes to individualize treatment and deliver measurement-based care benefits both providers and patients. You can visit erphealth.com to learn more and book a demo today. So as I mentioned, we'll be digging into call center infrastructure, which is actually really, really important. On top of call center training, which is also super important, we see a lot of really reduced conversion rates and the ability for providers to connect patients to care through lack of knowledge and skills on the call center team's side of things. But another really important part is that backend. How are you doing tracking? How are you connecting your telephony VoIP system to your call tracking, to your CRM, to your EMR? How much time is being wasted by not having those processes optimized? How much frustration is in there for both patients as well as the staff that's answering the phone because your systems and processes aren't optimized well or there's massive duplication of efforts? Or you're just not even aware of how advanced the technology is and how you can get AI to do a lot of things for you. And then when you really get into highly sophisticated call centers, you can start using AI for what's called intelligent routing. And you can start matching tiers of staff with tiers from content and channels and ad campaigns and matching intent to the best performing team and just really having massive improvements when you get really sophisticated on the back end. So we're going to dig into all the technical components there. We will try to explain it in layman's terms as much as possible. I'm really excited to have Carl coming on and sharing his expertise on it. So with that, let's jump in. Hey, Carl, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. You want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Decisive Edge? Absolutely. And I, I thank you for the opportunity uh, uh, love this vertical and, and working with people in recovery. So this is a, a great pleasure for me. Decisive Edge, it, we work with treatment centers to enhance their, uh, their admissions process in terms of efficiency and effectiveness. And, and in doing that, we found that we drive a better client experience, a better agent experience, enhance the brand, and, and really, at bottom line, we improve EBITDA. We have deep experience in the behavioral health space. Um, we've done three or four years of projects in this vertical, and um, couple that with our technical proficiency and what we do, you know, we, we deal a lot with salesforce.com or consulting shop. We're a telephony integrator for several different uh, networks. And, um, and then we do a lot of BI and, and AI work. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we feel like we have a unique position in this market. Not only do we understand the behavioral health space, specifically in treatment centers, but we understand the technical aspects and needs. So as for me, uh, you know, I lead our customer transportation uh, transformation vertical. I've had more than 20 years um, specifically on the customer experience side of the business and transformation. But I think more importantly, uh, I'm the father of two men in long-term recovery from opiate addiction. I'm the son of an alcoholic who's in long-term recovery. Uh, my father was long past, but great man and actually ran um, uh, treatment centers uh, for the federal government in Salem, New Jersey. And then, uh, 
my wife and I serve on the board of a nonprofit in Delaware called Attack Addiction. So when I talk to clients and, and prospects, I, I mean it sincerely. This isn't just business for me. It's personal. And, uh, you know, I'm as much about saving lives as I am about signing deals. So uh, I, I take this business very, very uh, seriously into heart. Well, appreciate the information there. Clear, very clear connection to the space. I think like many of us who work in it, just kind of clarifying for the audience, there's really kind of three main components. You do a lot of the technical back end, right? And that's how we originally connected. We do a lot of front end training on call centers, business development, marketing, et cetera. But you guys come in and do all the, the technical nitty gritty stuff that's way over my head. So it's Salesforce integrations and administration. It's back end technology on the call center side in terms of call routing. AI, IVRs, data tracking, and then you have the whole Power BI component, which is also a data and tracking aspect of the business. Is that all correct? Is there anything that I'm missing there? No, it is. And, and we also do a lot of API integration as we've gotten deeper into this space. You know, the necessity to communicate with the EMR um, is important and the ability to push and pull data is, is critical. And then taking a lot of that data and, and creating a centralized data warehouse so you can action on it. That also becomes, you know, part of our focus. So we don't get rid of the data anywhere else. We just aggregate a bunch of the data so you can make real timely decisions for your people and for your clients. Yeah, that's super important. I mean, it happens all the time. We'll go in and we can tell everyone the KPIs that they're supposed to be managing per department and how that flows down in tiers and who's looking at what. But if you don't have that all integrated across systems, it's a pain to pull. And then you're comparing apples and oranges a lot of the time. So it's definitely a need in the space and something that we run into consistently where it's, I think, why we talk on a somewhat semi-regular basis now, just because it's so helpful to get a perspective and to try and bring you guys in from time to time. So digging into some of the, the nitty gritty there, right? There's a big difference between being a small or a medium-sized provider and then scaling up. You know, if I've got two people that are manning my phones, for example, and then I look at a large-scale provider, and you know, some of our clients are still running 90 people in their call center. So, what does that progression look like? What changes from a technological standpoint as a, a provider gets larger? Well, I think we know that you know growth drives. Uh, operational challenges and complexity for the admission center and for those managing it. And so not only is it just new services, new markets and new payers, but it's, it's, it's new call curves, it's new demand. It's, 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 uh, it's a lot of different things that you're not used to. And I still see Nick, some call centers that I think um, should be operating more like a mid-sized to, to large mid-sized call center. And they're operating with nine or 10 people. And, you know, obviously the end result is missed calls. But, you know, when I, I'd relate three key things when you're looking at scaling up. The first thing is integration. You have integration into your platforms. Um, you can't, you know, when you're small, a lot of times you can rely on tribal knowledge. And, and uh, you know, Nick or Maisie knows everything and you I reach over and yell. But now as you get bigger, um, you can't rely on that anymore. And you might be decentralized. So integration into your platforms is, is critical. We talked a little this, you know, just a second ago about EMR integration and, and things like that. Knowing where your bedboards sit, knowing where all that data is, is critical. And then leveraging that data to, to drive and make decisions and then automating your workflows. As you get larger and you, you start creating more demand, whether it's through marketing or your business development, you're going to put more stress in that contact center. And the, the less manual you can make your processes vob integration and pull in reduce the duplicate data entry um things along those lines personal financial responsibility calculators streamlining and, and and your assessment flow um and even even as simple as changing the way you gather data um as an example when someone goes to enter who the um, payer is i live in delaware so let's say it's blue cross and blue shield of delaware Okay, so Carl Fisher enters in Blue Cross Blue Shield of Delaware as, as uh, my wife calls in and, and is, is admitting our son. And so I'm saying Blue Cross Blue Shield of Delaware. Um, but the next person who, who calls in, I might put in BCBS of Delaware or another agent might, or I might put BCBS of DE. Now, when you go to run data and take a look at things, you've got 
the same provider appearing four, five, six, seven different ways, and your ability to make decisions, strike arrangements, work on your referral networks, et cetera, are convoluted. So the ability to start structuring your data streams in, in your CRM and, and workflow and things like that become critical. Because when you go from three, four, five agents to 15 to 20, you gather less control and you need to streamline and, and make sure it's within certain guardrails, if that makes sense. No, those are perfect examples. And so that's that's our world, right? Is dealing with the systems, the processes, the people, the training. We run it all, all the time. And we had a client with a small, um, small call center, just four people in it. And one of the reps was, one, they weren't trained necessarily, but two, they were just kind of be a little bit lazy or just unclear on how important it was. And so any call that they didn't feel like taking or didn't feel it was a fit, they just marked as spam. So when we're looking at the data, we're seeing there's a 25% spam rate on, on their calls. And we're like, well, what the hell's going on here? That can't be right. And it's because they're not taking it properly. Same exact thing. You know, we'll have clients that don't take their calls. And so then you've got someone it's like, well, what volume or percentage is Medicaid versus commercial versus private pay? Like that's really important to know, especially as we break it down into a channel strategy. I want to know which channels are delivering more calls of the ones that we can connect to care and those that we can't. That's really important. It's important for the provider financially, and it's important for the patient so that they're not getting frustrated and we're not investing marketing dollars in, in areas that's just causing pain points for everyone. So it's critical to have those trainings and systems and processes in there. Now, I want to I want to actually dig into some of that and get into some of these specifics of what you guys are doing in the back end. So let's take that simple example of call tagging. How how would you recommend a setup on call tags? And clarify that a little bit. So your example was perfect. I've seen people with 50 call tags in there. Well, the caller ups are not going to scroll through 50 things and, and find the one. And one is BCBS of Tennessee, one is BCBS of Kentucky, one's BCBS, one's the one is BCB that they never took out because someone spelled it wrong. You know, so how do you recommend that kind of setup? And then can you automate that in any way is the second part of the question. Um, two things. In terms of setup, you, you build a search field in. Now, we've done this in Salesforce. So when you go to track your payer, you could type in Tennessee, TN. You, you build you build a, um, a logical string search. So if I typed in TN, it would bring up anything that had TN or Tennessee in it. And so, you know, you, you could do it that way. And then they would only get the, the selections for that. If you typed in blues, you would get blues, you know, any blues, but you could type in blues, Tennessee. So you, what you can do is use logic to limit your, your pick list. And, and you build that into your, your CRM structure. The other thing, I, I wouldn't do this. You could do it. You could use um, either portability of the phone. It, 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 you could use area code and make some logical assumptions. But I will tell you something that we do in, and we'll, I think we'll talk about artificial intelligence a little bit later if I, if I can. But um, if you can use intent, if you're further along the line of intent and speech, you can ask the person um, who's your, what type of insurance do you have and who's your carrier? And that'll drop down to the agent. So when that comes in, they can see it. But that's that's way over to the right. And that's what I would call in the running phase, right? In the crawl walk, I would say you use a informative pick list that allows for string search. So you type in Tennessee, or you type in BCBSTN. And, and what you've done is in the back, back of that, Nick, you've built in, if they say this, 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 or this, bring up these this choice. Okay, so we'll definitely get to the AI piece because I think that's really important. Our recommendation would just be to keep it simple. You know, often when we go within a provider, like I said, you can see 50 drop downs. I really, I just want to see commercial. I want to see Medicaid. I want to see admitted, right? Because I want them to go back and take if the person admitted or not. And I want to see non-treatment related. You know, those are really the core four that we're looking for. You can always add in more, but the more you add, the more complex it gets. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't disagree with that from a high level. I, I will tell you, I've been in an engagement where the treatment provider in charge of business development was asked what payers are driving business. And he would spend about three hours a week, literally, because he had 6,500 inputs. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Because then you have to run the report, especially if you're not automating it, like you said, you know, in terms yeah. 100%. You know, there's got to be a reason behind what you're doing. I think that makes sense. And we'll tell providers to go in and put in 
real general payer data for their major payer sources if they're looking to go in network. You know, if they're out of network and say, who should we go in network with? Well, identify where the majority of your patient volume is coming from, and that should be the first payer that you're trying to contract with, right? Very honestly, if you could build it on the back end with, with you know, I talked about BI. I mean, we could take your approach with commercial, and then when they get into the EMR, they're going to put who the provider is, and then we can go back in and and even if there's variation in what the provider is in the EMR, we can marry that up with a screening. Same process I told you for the pick list. Either way works. Either way absolutely works. Just depends on the immediacy you need. So could you back route that where they put it into the EMR and the EMR then pushes it back into the call taking system based on the, the phone number inputs? Yeah, into your CRM. Absolutely. That's phenomenal. Okay, so that stuff's great. So why don't we... Why don't we bridge a little bit to the AI component of it just a bit. So you have what's called conversational intelligence now where we can listen to the call. The AI listens to the call, picks out keywords, and then can pass some of that information along. Or there's chatbot functionality, right, where they go through a chatbot or an IVR in the beginning. So do you just want to walk through some of those options and your thoughts on them? Yeah, I think, you know, to me, one of the largest opportunities with AI I'll get the chatbots in a second, but with conversational AI is identifying customer intent. So for example, a customer calls in and, you know, legacy IVRs, what we call DTMF, you know, they press one, press two type thing can work, but, but you've already elicited your bias on what selections they're getting and when. Now we can talk later about that. There's ways to trick that, but essentially when you use a natural language processing IVR, or IVA, as we call them, which is like a chatbot, but it's up front and you're talking to it. You know, we'll say, tell me why you're calling. So let's say, you know, and that can be helpful in routing and streamlining. And that's really good for agent engagement. And it's good for coaching and onboarding. So, you know, to give you an example, tell me why you're calling. Uh, customer calls in and they say, I, uh, you know, I, I can't remember when my, my, my uh, transportation pickup is my ride. So we hear that. We know you're looking for ride transportation. We're going to go into the EMR, look when you're scheduled for pickup, play that back in a natural voice to you and say, you know, Mr. Fisher, we're, your, your pickup is arriving at 7 p.m. tonight. John will be your driver and boom, boom, boom. And then, you know, does this solve your question? Yes or no? If it's yes, then you're done and you've deflected a call from an admissions agent or from an admissions agent who then is going to transfer it to somebody in transportation, right? Or someone may call back up and say, I can't remember when my next IOP is, right? And, and, uh, you know, after authentication, you, you get them when their next, you know, treatment, outpatient treatment is. Uh, it could be a family member calling and, and you you have them at a table that recognizes them as a family member and they want to understand how, how Carl is doing in treatment. And you can play back, you know, limited information, but you can sit back and say, you know, Carl's, uh, Carl is, is in this stage and, and um, he will, um, parent visitations are this weekend and, you know, make sure X, Y, and Z. The whole point is, if we understand where they're calling, we can go. Now take it to the next level. Customer calls in, client, you know, prospect calls in, client and says, uh, "I'm looking for treatment." Well, then we can ask, "Where are you calling from?" Yeah, I'm calling from uh, I'm, I'm calling from Bloomfield, Indiana. Okay, and uh, what 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 type of uh, treatment are you looking for? What's can you tell me a little bit more about what you're looking for? They would uh, natural language processing wouldn't stammer like I'm doing right now, but uh, they go, "What are you looking?" For? <laughs> and uh, and, you know, say, look, you know, I've got an opiate addiction and, and uh, I'm looking for some help on, on recovery from my opiates. Are you looking for residential? Yes. Okay. So now all of a sudden, boom. Uh, if I stop there, now I can pass to an agent and understand that I want to try to keep this person relatively close. If, if the, you know, to the Bloomfield, maybe 50, 90 miles, whatever the company's philosophy is, that Bloomfield, Indiana area. I know they're looking for opiate use. And now that may all of a sudden streamline my, we have these facilities for you. You know, that agent might be sitting in Palm Beach, Florida, taking that call. But I know, bam, 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 I know what they need. I know why they're calling. I know what. And now I could even ask, can you tell me what type of insurance you have? And, you know, we might have to prompt them as to what that is, you know, because sometimes healthcare literacy is not great. So, you know, and then, uh, you know, the carrier. And, and if they don't, they say it's fine. But we pass that all the way down. And now what pops up on the agent's screen is that conversation, much like it would with a chatbot. And that agent now has intent. I need residential treatment for an opiate use disorder. I'm in the Bloomfield, Indiana area. I have commercial insurance and it's with Highmark. You've just streamed that call. And even though you're not just gonna go right at it, you're gonna sit back and treat with empathy and whatever. But we did that in a very large provider. 
and reduced their admissions time call from 33 minutes to 22. Now, it wasn't just that. It was workflow automation, et cetera. But the point is, when you're on the phone, and this is, I said to you before, I, I, I've been that parent on the phone, right? My wife and I are on the phone desperately trying to get our youngest son, well, both of them, but our youngest son into admission center. And we're fiddle farting around, as the best word I can use, with a number of different things. And time kills all deals. You know, the, my son wants to run. He knows what's coming up. My, you know, uh, you know, the agent's trying to help, but they got to get all different types of information. It's not easily at their fingertips. And you've got a bad experience for the person calling, the agent on the phone trying to help, and it doesn't look good on the company. And if I'm not satisfied, you know what we're going to do? Hey, thanks. I'm calling somebody else. And, and, and we do. And we did. And, and so that whole piece becomes very powerful. The ability to put down intent using natural language processing, the ability for the natural language processing to pick up what the person is saying that the agent may miss and not only present what the person is saying, but make recommendations, what we call agent assist, make recommendations on three logical questions to ask or next steps. Hey, do you have a dual diagnosis? You wouldn't say it that way, but you know what I mean. And so you, what that also does is speeds up the onboarding and efficiency of your hires because they're coached based on what's happening and, and, and what the person is saying in a real-time matter. So I think there's two pieces to just recap. One is it allows call routing and diverts non-admissions-related calls potentially away from the call center. Right. Yep. So if it's a logistics question, it can potentially pull from the, the EMR or whatever the transportation data is. If it's an insurance question or a billing question, it can route to those particular departments. So that just saves a lot of time. So that's that's number one. Then number two is this intent piece, which is really helpful. One for speeding up the process, allowing the agents to spend more time really getting into the, the deep aspect that the important information on the emission rather than just the transactional pieces. So it saves their time, saves their stress, allows them to take more calls at the end of the day. But then the other piece here is that lead intent that you talked about. And so I know it's a little bit advanced, but why don't we go into it since it's good with kind of the flow of this part of the conversation. You can actually route your high intent leads to the best people in your call center. And so by a identifying the level of intent, you can say, okay, this one, this person really wants to admit, we know that Johnny is, you know, the best person on the phone. So all the high intent stuff is going to go to Johnny, whereas the stuff that we're not sure about, it's lower intent, we're going to give it to the new kid on the block, because it's, it's just less likely to move forward for us. And so making that connection between the tiered individuals within your call center, and uh, the intent of the call is the next level, next level stuff. Absolutely. The other thing you can do, Nick, is, is um, and I know, a lot of, I know a lot of platforms can do this today, right? But Carl calls back in. He was speaking to Nick. He calls back in. Nick is available. Great. I can send him back to Nick. And he may be higher intent because we've now called him back in with information that was required. But Carl doesn't have to start his journey back over again. The agent desktop understands where he's been, what he's got on, and what's the next step in the, you know, we call them stage gates. But what's the next step? And so that that also creates a better experience and a streamlined experience. And then the other thing is, if Nick is not available, right, then then what we're going to do is look at see with Nick, and then we're going to look at the next best agent, maybe it's the best closer, or whatever, and say, okay, I'm sending it to Matt, and Matt's going to take that call. And then you know, but Matt's already going to know where this person was in the journey. They don't have to repeat themselves. They don't have to you know recreate the wheel. They continue and pick up. I'll never ever say it's a seamless execution because. Matt didn't know all that Nick was doing, you know, I mean, you know, the conversations, but he knows what he sees. And, and also don't forget AI does transcripts. It would automatically, you know, that, that chat GPT NLP natural language processing does transcripts. So you can see everything that's happened on the call. So in a quick, quick go to Matt, Matt would be able to see what happened on that prior call and understand where things are. Yeah. I love that example. I've been using T-Mobile for my cell phone provider for, I don't know, eight years now. And I absolutely love them. And one of the reasons is because every time of a problem, they've got that system on the back end. So I literally get the same rep every single time I call. 
Like it's phenomenal. And yeah. surprisingly, she's been there the whole time. I just called him like two months ago. I still get the same rep. <laughs> so it keeps me with T-Mobile because I'm like, I appreciate that customer service. She kind of knows who I am. You know, she's got the record of our conversations right there in front of her. I get out like, it's just, it's great. So that's phenomenal. And think about the vulnerability. I mean, you think about when you, you know, I always talk about you. You're talking to somebody about something very personal and private. We have a huge stigma we still got to fight with in this industry. That's a whole other discussion another day. But you're, you're talking to somebody and you're very vulnerable. And you've built a rapport, hopefully, with that individual who's trying to help you. And you've poured your heart and soul out. And then you got to go start it all over again. And, and it's, just, it's just exasperating. And so the ability to minimize that is, is critical. 100%. It's so valuable. We talk about that all the time, right? We don't want to have to tell our stories over and over because they're painful and it requires a lot of vulnerability and it's mentally exhausting. So it's very valuable to have that. And then take it to an, one more level up if you really want to keep kind of up in your level of sophistication. You can also start to identify like channel strategies or even pages on your website that we know, okay, this is this is the addiction treatment page, right? Keep it simple. This is the addiction treatment page. We know the people calling off this page, very high intent, very likely to be looking for care where we've got another page that what does cocaine look like? Right. And that page doesn't convert very well. We get calls off it, but you know, they're just looking for information. They're searching stuff out. They're not really looking for a treatment provider right now. We can take that and then match that up on the back through through your backend tech systems and again, route it. So the people from the treatment page go to Johnny because he's phenomenal. The people from the, you know, what does cocaine look like page go to the new kid on the block. And again, we're able to align intent with the best people on the team or as appropriate. Correct. So I know that was probably a lot for listeners. I don't, a lot of, a lot of providers have not moved to that level of sophistication. And one of the reasons is it's just, it's, it's expensive. It's complicated to set up. You have to be a certain size for it to make sense, but let's step back a little bit and, and maybe rebuild this. Let's start from a tech stack. So let's say that I've got 10 people in my call center and I'm starting to want to do some of these tracking things that you're talking about. What do I need from a tech stack standpoint to start doing some of this? Well, I mean, I, depending upon where you want to go and grow. Um, my initial thought would be to be on a cloud-based platform, which allows you to support work from anywhere um, and multi-site easily. Um, when I say cloud-based versus a premise-based, which is basically the server on your site, you've got a telephony engineer managing it or a managed services contract with somebody, but a cloud-based omni-channel. Um, and then, you know, at a very basic level, um, it'll give you a, a large number of tools. Um, when we talk about omni-channel, I mean, a lot of providers today use ABC company for chat and XYZ company for SMS. And, and that's great. And that's fine. And you don't have to get rid of those. You just want to make sure that your contact center can integrate that. And you, so that your agents see it in a unified approach or that your data sets all go there because you want to understand how that chat leads to a, that chat leads to a to an engagement, which leads to, you know, that's the whole pull through. But I would say a cloud-based omni-channel. And then as you grow, you can integrate natural language processing and AI. I mean, a lot of these companies now are doing, you know, doing there. I'm, I'm you know, look, I'm a, I am system agnostic and solution centric, but I, I am an integration partner for five, nine, bigger for big, you know, better for bigger contact centers. I'm also an integration partner for call tracking metrics. Um, very effective tool. Um, that does both marketing attribution and contact center management. And they are building their, and they've built their AI functionality. So it's well more within reach than it has been in his, history. But I would say that your first piece is to take a look at that cloud-based platform. Um, you want to make sure you have a, a CRM platform. And there's two big considerations. The biggest one, first and foremost, is got to be HIPAA compliant. And that eliminates a lot of people. Um, and then then the other thing, you know, and, and the reason I say you need to have a CRM, Nick, I've, I, I've, been, I've been seeing more and more prospects or clients I'm talking to, treatment centers, that are using their EMR as their CRM platform. Yeah. That's yeah. Not, it's not good for a lot of reasons, but it's, 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 not, a good, it's not a good practice. So you, you need to get into a, a, a CRM platform 
And you know, a call tracking platform, call tracking is not CRM, and that that becomes an important you know um, delineation. I want to make sure people understand that your your contact center integrates into your CRM, but so does your EMR, so does your other data sets to provide you a whole picture of what's going on when you're talking to somebody. So you know that becomes critical. The EMR is is important. You just need to make sure the data fields in your EMR are what you want it to be and, and collect. You know, we get pulled in on some uh, bedboard building and, you know, bed management system, whatever you want to call it, and they want to know A, B, and C, but their EMR doesn't record all that data. So is your, is your EMR, does your EMR data sets align with what you want to accomplish? And, um, you know, that's just a, a conversation with your EMR provider. We, we actually work with a number of them, but, you know, then we build API integration so we can get the data flowing back and forth. Depending on your size, if you want to build a centralized data warehouse, you could. If you're small to medium, you could use something like a Tableau or something else as your data repository. But the bigger you get, that becomes a problem. But that allows you to quickly take a look at what's happening in your contact center and 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 where it's flowing. So you know, the, again, if I if summary, you know, I'd, I'd say a cloud-based omni-channel center, uh, solid CRM platform. EMR that has flexible API capabilities. I'm not suggesting changing your EMR. I'm suggesting making sure you have a good conversation with your the the, the provider or you know and, and the support agent for the EMR and just making sure it can accomplish what you need it to accomplish. And then build some some form of central data repository. And that's not Excel because Excel is it needs to be something that's a little bit more dynamic that gets feeds on a regular basis, whether it's twice a day, four times a day, once a day. But you need to have that data in there. Okay, so let, let's outline maybe the basic infrastructure here just for the people that don't have a background in it. So we've got your our telephony or, or VoIP system, which is just really recording calls that come in. So calls that come in, it can tell us if there were missed calls, things like that. And then layer on top of that is a call tracking software, let's say, and that tells you more channel marketing data. So your VoIP system just takes the calls, and tracks call volume, call time, things like right. that. Then your marketing call tracking metrics, call rail, et cetera, tells you where those calls came from. Did they come yep. from Google? Did they come from SEO? Was it from this ad campaign, that billboard, et cetera? As that call comes in, then that data can be automatically pushed into a CRM. And then the agents on the phone can also add in more data to the CRM. And we're, we're not really reaching the level of I should be careful here, but it's it's still just contact information, right? We're starting at contact information. Who are they? Where are they calling about? How can we get back in touch with them? And right. then if that person moves towards an admission, then we will put them into the EMR, which is all of our medical record data. So is that correct? That's correct. And you know what we've done though, very honestly, is like we've pulled in the VOB data into the CRM. We've pulled, you know, so you don't have duplicate data entry. You enter it once and it pushes into the EMR. We've pulled in assessment forms and assessment data into the CRM. And then that pushes into not, you know, they'll probably do another assessment when they get to the center, but you have a lot of that data already captured. So you're, you're streamlining that flow, but yeah. And, and, and the more um, robust your CRM platform is, the more, the more you can, you can do. Yeah, exactly. So we want to automate that flow as much as possible. And we want that data flowing through. So let's say that I, I want to run a report in my EMR and see how many Blue Cross Blue Shield patients came from X campaign, right? Or let's say from Google ads. Well, so if that flows right and everything's pushing through as one, then we can track that all back and we can tie that phone number to the CRM, to the call data and the call tracking software to, to the phone number and actually run those reports. Whereas if it's all hacked together or being entered by different people and not aligned, we run into a problem there. So from a basic automation standpoint, what would you say are the top automations that a provider should have in terms of call center tracking? Well, in terms of call center tracking, obviously it's the marketing, it's the it's the carrier insurance, right? Where we automate the VOB. It is the call disposition and the outcome. And you know, it's it's probably the referring source, not even just Google marketing, but also is it a hospital? Is it in what doctor? And then the assessments, you know, what what are certain things we can capture off the assessment? 
So we understand that we were getting a dual diagnosis coming from here in these markets from these doctors. Do we need to change the way we're approaching our market in that, in that place? Because there's a lot of market intelligence that can be gathered when you start to combine marketing information, contact information, outcome information, and uh, resource information. Where to come from? How did it get here? What was the outcome of that? And, and why? Oh, yeah. Super helpful. And then we mentioned IVR a couple of times. So if anyone's unfamiliar with that term, IVR is the automated message you call when, you know, press one for admissions, press two for billing, press three for whatever. That's an IVR. So just in general, what's your what's your thoughts on IVRs? How they how should they be used? What's an optimal kind of setup or structure? I mean, the optimal setup and structure to me would be the IVA with the natural language processing, but to get intent. But the reality is not everybody's there and not everybody can afford to be there. Not that it's overly expensive, but the sophistication, they may not be ready to change yet, right? So so here's here's what I would say. We talked earlier about it's critical to have integrations and your data together into a centralized place. And I spent years doing this in the banking world, um, which is where I spent a lot of my contact center capabilities, but are developing. When a customer calls in, and if any of your listeners, yourself, you've called in and you say, thank you, we received your payment, right? So you say, hey, thank you, we've received your payment, your current balance is X, and then they start playing you a menu. The reason they do that is they know that you're within XYZ days of your payment due date, or you just posted one, and that a lot of customers call to validate their payments uh, that they've been made or see what if, if they've got available credit. So they've eliminated that call by doing that. And that's using what we'd call a flexible menu or intelligent, intelligent IVR. So now think about, think about providing a flexible menu to somebody instead of offering the same damn six, you can see how much I like this, same damn six <laughs> options. Um, you know, so think about this. Carl Fisher calls in. I'm calling on behalf of my son, Ricky. And I'm on this table that says I'm a, you know, I can go in and I know that I'm connected to Ricky. And I know that Ricky's admitted. Or the number I'm calling from shows that this person's already admitted. I don't need to play for admissions press one. Maybe what I need to say is if you're calling to find out visiting hours, if you're calling, you know, you flex your menu based on what you see, like those conditions call. You take that from your call data, you develop probabilities, you know, you use the old Pareto, right? 80 20. 80% of the time when these three conditions exist, this is what these people call about. Push those options up to the front of the IVR and then let them go through another flow. If someone has a scheduled transportation appointment and you see that when they call in and you hit the you hit your centralized data set, it's called anti-match, right? You match your phone number to, to the, the centralized data repository. And you can sit back and say, if you're calling about your you know upcoming transportation, press one, then you play it back to them. For other matters, press two. So that's how you can take the IVR in a more simplistic way to the next level. But in my personal belief is that the IVR today, any IVR today in any industry, it's not just treatment, isn't as effective as it can be unless you're using predictive intelligence. So when you play to me, thank you for calling, um, you know, thank you for calling uh, Fisher, Fisher Recovery Centers, you know, where your family comes first. For hours of operation, press one. For a corporate directory, press two. For Well, I'm going to start pounding to get the hell out because I need help. Right. Not everybody does that. Not everybody does that. Some people just say for treatment, press one. And you go to the floor and they let the admissions agents handle it. There are better ways to handle this to allow you to um, refine the calls that your age, your admissions agents are taking. That allows them to talk to the right people to get them the help they need when they need it. That's great. I, I have to admit, I absolutely hate IVRs just speaking <laughs> in my personal life. I mean, they're never set up correctly. And there's no. always 15, you know, 15 options, four call trees deep. You just start hitting mashing buttons to get through to an operator. And then you're already pissed off by the time you get to one. <laughs> no, truth. You can do conditional menus based on conditions, uh, hence the name. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're saying AI here. So is there a machine learning component to this? So are they actually getting better at identifying who's calling for what over time? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the interesting thing is, um, you know, I said earlier, gratuitous, gratuitous plug, but we're uh, a five nine partner. More, we're one of the few partners in North America right now who do their AI work with IVA, natural language processing. 
and we've all, you know, we've been educated on it. And the, the eye opener to me, and it makes total sense. And so I'm, you know, opening the kimono here a little bit, but as we're sitting there being educated on how to build intents and understand and drive things is AI, and you brought up a great point, machine learning language. A, when you implement AI, it's not a silver bullet. It's it's It takes 60 to 90 days to get into that swing to understand and start to refine itself over and over and over again. However, once that, so think about that when you're hiring a new hire, right? It could take six months. It could take three months, but let's just say it's three months, 90 days. So in 90 days, just like a new hire, I've got this machine learning AI intent, you know, building this virtual agent building and building and building. And then it's on autopilot. Now it continues to refine itself, but in 90 days, it's up to almost full proficiency. And that's, that's pretty incredible. So you got to think of AI like hiring a person and onboarding them. But I would argue that, especially in this industry, with uh, the complexities of, of treatments and dual diagnosis and you know things like that, 90 days is not enough to get somebody ready to go. Yeah. And you have to do it right. Yeah. I mean, that's the importance of working with partners like you. you know, they've, I mean, they've done a lot of studies on, on AI-assisted chess, right? And if you yep. look at people that play chess now, there's whole freestyle tournaments and you can be a, a group of AI and a group of people and they kind of have partnerships. And the way that you play chess is completely different when you've got AI involved. So the AI can run the probability sets, but the human players actually have the creativity and the strategy. And so it's a completely different way of playing chess. And what you find is that the people that understand the inputs that are being derived and, and how the computer interprets things actually start beating the grandmasters because it's that interaction between the AI and the human that becomes the differentiator. Um, and you, that's, a, that's a separate skill set than just actually making a prediction itself. It's fascinating stuff to me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And it's going to continue to grow. There's, you know, there's a large, uh, there's a large fear of AI. And I think we create, you know, I think everybody's thinking of 2000 Space Odyssey with Hal, that shows I am. But I mean, you know, look, if you're using Siri, if you're using Nest, if you're using Waze, if you're using, you know, uh, Rings, you're using AI. It's just, no one's calling it that. You're using AI. And so AI has a huge impact in understanding customer intent to personalize and empathize the conversation and improve your agent onboarding skills, which enhances their experience as well. They're not left high and dry. And if you're working remote, you got agents working remote, that becomes pretty critical because you no longer have the bay of 12 people that you're walking up and down and can answer questions. So we mentioned that this isn't necessarily cheap to go in and, and do a lot of this backend setup. I mean, it is pretty technical. There's a lot of complicated stuff that's happening here and a lot of systems that you got to deal with. But when you look at the ROI, I mean, how do you think about the ROI of these kind of setups and what have you seen in terms of providers from a, a result standpoint after they've implemented various systems? Most of the time we go in and optimize the systems they have because I don't want to ever come in and do a rip and replace. I'd rather take the systems they have in place and optimize. You know, that's why I said earlier, I'm system agnostic and solution centric. And we, uh, this sounds egotistical, I don't mean to sound egotistical, but we feel pretty confident in our ability to take a look we know most phone systems and we know, you know, CRM and we, you know, so, and, and there's some core contact center strategies in general that we can apply. So what we've been able to do, you know, we worked with a very large treatment center. Um, their ROI was 14 months um, after, you know, in terms of everything they did with us, it was a long engagement, but, you know, let me put the, you know, they were able to reduce their OPEX by 40% in their contact centers. They reduced their, their admissions, their time to admission on an admissions call from 33 minutes to 22, they increased their census by 9%. So, and they reduced their abandonments and also drove down a little bit of their, their call volume. And, you know, so you sit back and say, wait a minute, is that a good, well, when you reduce the call volume, when you reduce your abandonments, we used to call it the downward death spiral when I was in call. When people, when you get an abandoned, people start calling back and they, they start calling back and they call back and they call back. And especially when you think about this, this scenario, they're looking for help. They want to help. They want to help. They're going to call back. So you reduce your call volume. They were able to reduce their, their staffing because of that. They were able to reduce their handle time because of that, increase their census. And it, it worked out pretty well. And, and I'll, I'll tell you some stuff I'm seeing now when I'm looking at, at treatment centers that I'm talking to is that there is a large number of 
opportunities left on the table, whether it's with abandoned rates, whatever, very low conversion per call carried. And that's because they're taking every call and they don't need to be taking every call. So you said just a reduction of 33 minutes to 22, right? So that's a 30% reduction. And so technically that's 30% less call time during the day, which right. yep. then requires less operational overhead. So that, that's a huge cost savings right there, just from that simple math. Correct. And that's how they were able to reduce some of their workload, work workforce. And I also think about it from a psychological toll standpoint, we talk about this a lot, but if I'm dealing with a lot of bad fit calls or calls that aren't uh, treatment related, it just drives burnout. And then you have higher turnover, which is a lower satisfaction, lower patient experience on the phone. And so there's these intangible elements, I think, that are just as important as the, the hard metrics that you can see more clearly. Yeah, it, look, we were able to, like I said, we were able to streamline their transportation function. They didn't have to transfer the call and stay on hold to get someone in transportation. We built the process right into their desktop. Um, you know, we were able to integrate the VOB, the integrate the personal financial responsibility calculator, reduce the duplicate data entry, which reduces the prone for error which reduces the, the efficiency and effectiveness of someone getting in, all of a sudden they miss, they transpose enough, you know, it's, it's so much more opportunity there. And, and, you know, Nick, and I'm sure you approach your business the same way. You don't have to swallow the whole pig. Let's go crawl, walk, run. Let's, let's take your, your biggest problem you're seeing right now. My conversions are low. Okay. Let's find out why. What do you got? What can we do? How can we help you? People, people's morale is terrible. I have a high turnover. Okay, let's talk to the people and find out, you know, what sucks about your job. And and we start asking them, you know, how do you fix what's going on? Ah, I got to do this. I got 14 systems. We call that civil chair. I got 14 systems I'm working on to get one thing done. Okay. We can come back with a recommendation to, to fix that. We work in what's called an agile methodology, right? And so, uh, and uh, other people call it plan, do, act, change. But we, we work in an agile methodology and we come in and we, we work quickly. We work to get something fixed, done and, and see the benefit and then work to get to the next stage or say, let's let that sit for a while and we'll come back. I, I don't, I'm not, I would rather have long-term relationship with a study opportunity to make the business better than come in with a big explosion and say, look at all we did for you. And that adoption of change was, was problematic. Sometimes you got to spoon feed these things. Makes sense. So when you're looking at, let's say some common problems that occur, like what are some of the most, yeah, what are some of the most common things that you see in a call center that are not set up in an optimized fashion that providers should be looking at? Well, we talked about efficiency and productivity. You know, the agents are spending time on things they shouldn't be spending time on. And um, not because they're doing the wrong things, it's because they're being served up the wrong opportunities. Uh, and so that ability to streamline the workflow and things like that are, are critical. Um, even up at the top of the funnel, I would say staffing optimization. Are your people in the right place where they need to be based on your call curves, right? So there's a natural tendency to say, you know, well, look, you know, we're going to eight to five, we're going to have this percent of people and then from 12 to eight, we're going to have this, whatever. But is that aligned with your client's demands? Is that where you need to be? And because is that why you're missing calls? I, I talk to centers a lot that talk to me about, you know, I'm dropping a lot of calls. And, you know, they say, but you know what? We're, we're not a 24-7 shop, but we do have a rollover. Okay, so I can tell you right now, based on the work I've done in the, in the treatment center space with, with multiple contact records, from nine to midnight is only about three and a half percent of your calls. And from midnight to 8 a.m. is another almost 4% of your calls. So if all of those are missing, that's 7% of your, your abandons or your missed calls. But if you're over 7%, <laughs> what's happening during the course of the day is something you got to control because that's when people need you, want you, and want to talk. So are your, is your staff aligned? That's one of the things we see as an opportunity immediately. The second thing is, scalability. As you grow, do you have a good process to grow? You're going to add on people. How easy is it to onboard and adopt, especially if it's multiple sites in different locations? So the scalability becomes really important with integration in the platforms, EMR, e, you know, marketing, automation, 
some of it lacks and is non-existent. Um, they, they don't get the feeds. Um, and then I, I can't tell you how many times we talk about Salesforce. I, I, we go into places all the time and they're critical of their EMR and they're critical of their Salesforce. And what we're finding is it's not the EMR, the Salesforce. It's their partner who implemented it for them. And there's a big difference between implementation and integration. Implementation is transactional and integration is transformational. And we're an integration company. And, and so when I take a look at that, have you chose the right partner to deliver the tools you're buying? Um, and then it's improved, improved uh, process flows, you know, the data quality. Are, even if you don't hire somebody like to do automation, I mean, I know Nick, you guys go in and look at business optimization. Why are you doing the things you're doing? Ask the whys, why are you doing this? Well, it's because we need this form. Why do you need that form? Do you really need that form? Yes, the customer, another set of questions that could be, you know, garnered someplace else. So, you know, efficiency and productivity, scalability, do you have the right integrations? Is your staff in the right place? And then what does your process flow look like? And have you really looked at it in a while? Or is it just that way because you've always done it that way? So you mentioned Salesforce. I do want to dig into that because it's always a question that comes up with the providers. And to your point, usually the installs are just terrible. Like they, they paid someone who didn't seem to know what they're doing. And I am by no means a Salesforce expert. It's one of my areas of that I understand the least, but I can tell it's a mess. <laughs> I can tell they can't pull what they want and, and there's nothing. So when you look at a Salesforce install, you know, in layman's terms, what are some things that they should be looking for to make sure that it's being installed correctly or that it's set up appropriately for, for a treatment provider? You need to make sure you as a treatment provider understand, I'll use the word dimensions, but the, they use objects in Salesforce, right? So I need, I need the sales, I, in Salesforce, I want to do the assessment. I want to do the approval uh, or at least push that approval. I want information into and from my EMR. I want to do my bedboards. Um, so I want people to see, I want, you know, what, what do you need at the desktop? Before you talk, even say, what do you need your agents to be able to do? And then you sit back and say, where do they overlap? That's the duplicate data entry, right? So I know I'm going to need, when I pass through for my, my approval and even possibly my assessment, I need VOB data. And maybe I need personal financial responsibility calculators built in so that I can, when they're talking finance and getting ready to talk about what it's going to be, what my obligation is going to be, where is it? I need to be able to look up um, my different locations. I need, you need to be able to express to them what's gonna do, because Salesforce works on building objects. A family, we built a family object um, for large treatment provider we did work for, so that when people could denote who can, who can they talk to about the loved one or very close family, right? They allowed that information up for who do you want us to, and that was built in, so that then when someone called in, it wasn't a problem of releasing information, et cetera. It, it was a problem if Carl said, my mother can't know. I don't want my mother to talk to me. And the mother gets ticked off. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? You got, you got, uh, you got those situations. But you need to be able to outline what you want the agent to do. And so what's often happened is I would like you to plug in. I would like you to plug in my Salesforce implement into my phone system. And maybe or maybe not, did they integrate it in with the EM, implement it or integrate it, tie it into the API, uh, the API to the EMR. But no one asked the question, if you want to build a bed board, does your EMR have the name of the bed, the number of the bed, the type of the bed? Is it male, female, dual diagnosis? Is it detox? Is it, you know, is it residential? Is it a Jack and Jill? You know, there's a lot of things. So you, there's no way, there's no way your basic Salesforce implementation company understands this. We're blessed in that we have a guy who's got four or five years specifically in the, in the treatment center space leading our consulting team. So this is second nature to him. It's not second nature to me. I've learned all this. I've had to learn it, right? So, um, but, you know, that, that part is critical. You need to be able to outline the design you want for your agent's desktop not not layout, but what they need to be able to do. And, and that becomes very critical. And, and think about this. What does a, a hack, and I'm not, I'm not using the bad word because you know, these guys are very skilled, 
but a general developer, what does he know about VOB? What does he know about assessments and approvals? What does he know about, you know, personal financial responsibility calculators? And does he know to ask the right questions to question you on what you're asking? And, and so those are the things like when you get with Salesforce, that's, that becomes the challenge is does your business partner understand your business? And that's, look, I, there's certain behavior health spaces we don't play in because I'm not going to profess to be all things to all people. We are very strong in the financial services realm because we're all bankers by trade. And we're very strong in the treatment center space because we've got about five years experience in that. Some of our guys have five. Some of us have three. I think it's excellent points all around. I mean, it always comes down to the expertise of the people that you're talking to. There's different solutions for different problems. And if you can't differentiate those those problems by category, you're not going to know what solution to apply. I see it all the time. You know, I always kind of make the joke, well, would you want your kid's gym teacher teaching their math class? And people are like, well, no. I'm like, well, then why do you why are you hiring the, the marketing agency that does personal injury attorneys or car dealerships to market your, your treatment program? I mean, it's the same thing. Right solution, right problem, or right problem, right solution, right? And that's exactly to your point, 100%. And when you talk about sales, I always tell people too with Salesforce, this goes back when I worked for Aetna and I had the Salesforce uh, group working with me there. WAD, working as designed or working as desired. And what ends up happening is there's a design problem when they first met and it's not what they desired. And I always used to joke, it's still a wad either way you look at it, but but it's, it's I said, you designed it, but what you designed wasn't what you desired. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not the implementation partner's fault. Yeah. I remember when I worked at Disney a long time ago, we hired an Indian company to do our Salesforce install. Oh, it was just a mess. Just a mess. Yeah. And mainly because, I mean, you know, someone coming from Indian culture has no idea what we needed installed in a, a U.S. business environment, uh, specifically for the businesses that we were operating. And so you're right. Like, you know, they didn't know how to communicate what was needed. They didn't have the Salesforce expertise to even know how it operates to explain, you know, what they think they should be doing in a general sense. And so then you get this massive implementation and we spent six months fixing the thing. It cost us millions and millions of dollars. And then we still spent six months because it didn't work at all the way that we wanted it to work. But that was our fault as much as theirs. <laughs> oh, but the cost of rework is real. Oh, I mean, massive, it's... massive. I mean, not just the the payment cost, right? But all of the opportunity costs, the wasted labor hours, the frustration from employees, the frustration from customers right. not being able to get, I mean, it's just massive, it's massive. Right. And you got to re-engage people to say, Salesforce can work. We just have to rework Salesforse. Yeah. yeah. The big made that investment, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Right, right. And when it works well, it works well. I mean, talking to all about your integrations and everything. So if people understand the back end of how this stuff works, like if you can push your admissions data all the way back through that systems flow that we talked about. So EMR to CRM to call tracking and then kick it back to Google ads, for example. Well, Google ads has a strong machine learning AI component to it too. And so it's it's garbage in, garbage out, or it's super helpful. And so if you're not feeding it the right data, it's not learning the right thing. If it can learn off of admissions data, that's phenomenal because now we're it's just helping us on the back end create better strategies. But if you don't have that talk through or that flow through for, for all those programs, then we're not going to get that admissions data back into Google and it's just going to base it off of call data. Well, those calls could be Medicaid. Those calls could be commercial. Like, Google can't differentiate. And so the more you integrate your data and have it talking to each other, the more beneficial all aspects of, of the entire business are eventually. Correct. Well, we've covered a lot of topics today. Anything that we haven't covered that you think is really important that we should uh, make sure people are aware of? I probably didn't embellish on, you know, we talked about IVA and we talked about intelligence and, you know, as more and more centers are handling both residential and outpatient one of the things we're starting to really see take hold is use an outbound IVA to remind people about their next outpatient appointment or you know schedule and, and implement the use of spam blocking there. But so that we were seeing some of our centers having a lot of no-shows and whether it's just they forgot or whether they weren't going to show, but you know, using 
using the integration of your data sets, right? Your EMR and your, and your CRM and boom, push it out and, and push out to them. Hey, hey, Carl, you've got an appointment tomorrow with Dr. Jaworski at, at 3 p.m. Just a reminder, you know, and if you have to bring it, you know, but but you can just push it right out. You know, it, look, it happens today. You get the reminder of your prescriptions, your doctor's appointment, et cetera. But leveraging that technology into your into your outbound strategy can be pretty powerful as well. I'm glad you brought that one up. I mean, because even my local dentist does that, right? So when you talk about crawl, walk, run, this is a simple starting point that's insanely valuable, especially for any of the MET providers out there listening. I mean, short rates are super important. I can tell you for a fact that once you implement strong outbound automated notification processes, you can almost double your show up rates. Like it's, it's game changing. Well, super, super helpful, Carl. I, I hope it wasn't too technical for the audience out there, but that's all right. If it was, just call Carl. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't ask me to repeat it. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate it. So if anyone wanted to get in touch with you or Decisive Edge, what would be the best way to do that? Well, my email is tricky, but it's Carl, K-A-R-L dot Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R at DecisiveEdge.com. Now, decisive is spelled D E C I S I V E D G E. So there's only one E in there.com. Or you can reach myself, 302 383 2516. Greatly appreciated for everyone out there. This is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, and we'll see you next time.